weeks ago, there we go, it was just a few weeks ago we began a sermon series on 3 John entitled A Life of Love. We continue that series today, so I'd like to invite you to please turn with me to the book of 3 John, which is close to the end of the Bible, just before Jude and Revelation. Three books from the end of the New Testament is 3 John. It was after that first sermon that someone in the church designed this Third John shirt that I'm rocking today. It was my son, Ben. Uh, he he uh, did this. And you remember in that sermon, I talked about the word beloved and how I'm looking to recapture that. So that's what's on the back of this shirt is this beloved design. It is, what's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, so thanks, Ben. The third John swag is the gift that I did not know my life needed, but it has brought me much joy and actually, my sons are rocking it as well. So, uh, Third John is a short and affectionate letter. We're going to read this again in its entirety because it's short enough to do so. Uh, the structure is somewhat straightforward. Greetings to Gaius in verses 1 through 4. We looked at that passage last time. Then there is a commendation of his hospitality to these traveling Christian workers. That's there in verses five through eight. That will be our text today. There is then a rebuke of Diotrephes for his troublemaking in verses nine and 10. And then there are commands to do good rather than evil, verses 10, uh, verses 11 and 12, and then concluding greetings to his friends. So again, today we're going to look at verses five through eight. And our title is Partners in mission, partners in mission. This is God's holy and authoritative word, which means that even though this is a personal letter that was written many years ago, it is for us full of correction, encouragement, instruction, and training in righteousness. God has things for us in this book. Verse 1. The elder, which is John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out For the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. 
Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. May God bless the preaching of his word. There was an article in USA Today that was entitled, An Oasis of Kindness on 9-11. And it's about how the town of Gander, Newfoundland, a small Canadian town on an island in the North Atlantic Ocean, took in nearly 6,700 people, almost doubling its population, when the September 11th, 2001 terror attacks in New York and Washington forced 38 planes to land there. The article says, their simple hospitality to the unexpected house guests drew worldwide accolades. Uh, The town welcomed people from nearly 100 countries all over the world with kindness and sacrificial hospitality. The article talked about the outpouring of kindness as Gander residents took passengers sightseeing, moose hunting, berry picking, and barbecuing. They entertained with music, stopped anyone walking down the street in case they wanted a ride, and brought strangers into their homes. One guest said the whole community is the poster child for hospitality. The early church in the first century similarly captivated the attention of the surrounding world. Uh, Following the earthly ministry of Christ and his death and resurrection, followers of Jesus were revolutionary in how They practiced hospitality and how they welcomed widows and orphans, the homeless and the poor, strangers and ethnic outsiders. Throughout the book of Acts, when we read that account of the early church, we see people opening up their homes for ministry and for mission. In the first century, there were those who were sent out for the sake of the gospel and those who were sent on this mission, it's not like they could just rent a car or stay at an Airbnb. There weren't iPhones with maps on them where they could find their way around. And so hospitality was crucial to the spread of the gospel. Christians, in other words, not only loved each other in the church and considered one another to be beloved, but they also opened their homes to traveling Christian ministers, even those who were strangers, and they did so at great cost to themselves. Why would they do this? Why would they live this kind of life with such sacrifice? Well, they did it because they lived not for themselves, but for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. They lived for the advance of this glorious message of salvation, not by works, but by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And this participation in mission was a significant factor in the spread of the Christian gospel throughout all the world. And the purpose of this passage is that we too 
today might be faithful partners in the mission and fellow workers for the truth. That's what God has for us, just as he had for the early church. And it is my prayer that each one of us would live, continue to live, or if not presently living, that we would resolve this day to live not for our own comfort, not for worldly success, not for the American dream, that we would not waste away our lives, but that we would live for the name of Jesus Christ and that the gospel would continue its advance through us in this area and among the nations for the glory of God because he has saved us according to the riches of his grace. This is our great desire. Now we know from John's letters that there were faithful Christian workers, these travelers who were missionaries, they were church planters, or they were traveling preachers of some kind. We in fact know from the previous letter from 2 John that there were other traveling ministers at the time who were false teachers. And John says there in 2 John verse 10, to not receive those deceivers into your houses or give them any greeting. They were not faithful to the gospel and therefore they were not to be received into their homes. You have to understand hospitality in the Greco-Roman world was not just an act of kindness. Hospitality in those days, one person defined it as the process by which an outsider's status is changed from stranger to guest. That's what hospitality is. And so in verses 5 through 8, John is commending Gaius for welcoming these faithful Christian workers and he encourages them to continue to support people like this in the future that we may be fellow workers for the truth. It's important to note that this is written as a commendation and brothers and sisters, this commendation is the same one that I am eager to give to you as a church. As I was studying this passage, it occurred to me that this encouragement, this commendation, this joy is the same way that I and the pastors feel about you because we are together partners in mission. You have done so many faithful things Verse 5, beloved, it is a faithful thing. There are so many faithful things. There are so many efforts that are represented in this congregation. And you are full of love for our mission partners. And you, therefore, beloved, are fellow workers for the truth. And it's a glorious thing. I, I see verses 5 through 8 as very important for our church family. Studying these verses this week and considering what God has for us uh, from these verses. And there are seven lessons from this passage that I pray God seals upon our hearts. So I believe it was last week, you had no sermon points. Well, this week we're making up for it. You have seven of them and we'll move along quickly. One, the gospel makes brothers out of strangers. The gospel makes brothers out of strangers. Gaius is commended here for welcoming these strangers as brothers. He feeds them. He gives them a place to stay. He loves them. He supports them. 
In verse 10, Diotrephes will be called out for refusing to welcome these same brothers. But Gaius treats them as brothers. And the reason he treats them as brothers is because that is what they are in Christ. Have you ever had the experience you uh, meet another Christian for the first time and it feels like you've known them a lot longer? This is... Our experience when we talk to someone like Chespi, our mission partner in Costa Rica. It feels like I have known him much longer than I have. Well, what explains that reality? It's that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us into the same family. It takes strangers and it makes them brothers. So that we are in Christ brothers and sisters in the family of God. And what unites us as the people of God is not a common background, common age, common ethnicity, or income, or any other difference that the world loves to emphasize. What unites us is that we are a spiritual family made one by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are united in him. Romans 15, 17 says that we are to welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. Oh, remember today, Christian, that God in Christ has welcomed you. God not only loved and welcomed us when we were strangers, but when we were his enemies. And this welcoming love was not merely an emotional sentiment. It was a love by which his son came into a dark and sinful world and died on a Roman cross, that old rugged cross. He died there so that we might be welcomed into the family of God and accepted by a holy God and be forgiven of all of our sin. It is because God has welcomed us How has God treated you as a sinner? He's welcomed you. He's welcomed you. And it is because this gracious God has welcomed us that we welcome others, even strangers. We welcome them into our hearts and our homes and our lives, especially brothers and sisters in the faith. This is This is what the local church is called to be. This is the warm welcome that we experience in the church. And there is nothing like it in all the world. The gospel makes brothers out of strangers. Second lesson, we should practice the lost ministry of hospitality. It is a faithful thing, verse 5, that Gaius did in extending this hospitality Verse 5 also refers to all his efforts for these brothers. Yes, there's efforts involved in this work. Hospitality is love in action. And sadly, in our day, hospitality has become increasingly rare. Hospitality has become an industry rather than a ministry. God intends it to be a ministry. And so I want to ask each one of us today to consider how do you view your home? Do you see it as a tool for ministry and mission? I believe that some of the most important ministry in the church is the unprogrammed ministry of hospitality. 
that happens in our homes. And in a large church, hospitality becomes all the more important. I sometimes have uh, people share, and I'm always eager to hear what people believe about how we can grow as a church because certainly we have many areas to grow. I sometimes hear from people who share that they have a hard time fitting in or feel like community and life together is a weakness in the church. It is good in those situations to always look in the mirror and to ask ourselves how effectively we ourselves are practicing hospitality. Are we living a life that reaches out to others? I absolutely loved the recent new members testimony we heard a few weeks ago from Fernando and Fabiana Almeida and how they were brought into people's homes the first day they visited our church. I can tell you that's gonna make a bigger impression than anything that will happen in the service because it is the love that God has shown on display in our lives. Friends, don't limit your hospitality only to those you're already really close with. Use hospitality to get to know others. Reach out to those who are different than you. Consider who might be blessed by an invitation into your home. For busy families that feel like, is he giving us just one more thing to do? Consider this, even if you invite someone new over just once a month, that is 12 people or families in a year who will be blessed. We can all think through ways that we've benefited from the ministry of hospitality, both in receiving and in giving. And we desire for this grace, this ministry for which Gaius is commended to increasingly mark our lives and to mark our church community. We should practice the lost ministry of hospitality. Lesson three, churches that partner together accomplish more in mission. They accomplish so much more in mission. Churches that partner together accomplish more in mission. This passage, these verses, is a classic extra-local mission text. Uh, uh, the mission that extends beyond one local congregation. The main focus of John's commendation of Gaius and the church is their faithfulness in supporting these extra local workers. These workers were sent out from another church that was not Gaius's church and evidently returned to that church. And verse six says that they testified of Gaius's love and support for them in that other congregation. They stood before that other church and said, here is a church that has received us, that loves us, that's joined together with us in a common mission. So the picture is another church. It was probably John's church and the church that Gaius is in and other churches partnering together joined together for the sake of the broader mission. And it is something that we have seen before in our preaching of scripture because in fact, this cooperation among churches is everywhere in the New Testament. Here is a reminder that no church is self-sufficient. Here is a reminder of the immense value of partnership among churches. Some of you who are members here may not always be members here because God may lead you elsewhere. If he does, make this something you look for in a church, in a healthy church, a church that is meaningfully joined together in partnership with other churches. One of the great reasons we care so much about partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches is because we can't do missions on our own. 
We realize that we're stronger together, that we can accomplish so much more together. God's plan is for churches to partner together. Four, God wants to use us to spread the gospel to distant places. Part of living a life of love, a basic part of the Christian life, is the desire to support the spread of the gospel throughout the earth. And I rejoice that over the past year, we've heard from Josh Pinnell. He is a missionary to Ethiopia. We've heard from others who are doing work in Thailand and Turkey. All sovereign grace missionaries, all doing the work of taking the gospel to the frontier for the name of Jesus Christ. We've spent We have sent teams to Costa Rica. We've sent them to Ethiopia. We have sent them to London. We've sent pastors from our team all over the world to spread the gospel, to care for churches, and to train other men in ministry. This November, I want to let you know one of the events that is uh, one of the highlights, if not the highlight, of our calendar year by way of events because I know there's a lot that we always announce put this on your short list of things that you look to make it to this November we will hold our second annual international partnership potluck at our church there will be partners from Liberia Ethiopia Zambia Bolivia Costa Rica and Jamaica who will all come here to this building for that potluck to give updates and to inform us of how God is using us to spread the gospel and inform us of opportunities for partnership. Many of those brothers will stay in the homes of our members. It is a faithful thing you are doing. And we do that because of texts like these. God is using us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to distant places. Fifth and related lesson. Some will be sent out from our church for the sake of Christ. Some will be sent out from our church for the sake of Christ. Andy Johnson has an excellent little book on missions. It's probably my favorite book on missions. It's not long. Andy Johnson, it's called Missions, subtitled How the Local Church Goes Global by Andy Johnson. And he says this, despite globalization and mobility, Until Christ returns, there will always be a need for churches to train, send, and financially support international missionaries. That will always be the case until Christ returns. Missionaries are to be sent by a local church with the goal of starting or supporting a church and should be accountable to a specific local church. Not all will be sent. But some will be sent. And we need men and women who will be sent to support mission work on the ground. And perhaps more than anything, we especially need qualified pastors who will lead the way in planting churches among the nations. And I want to share this with you because, well, it's a window into my prayers. And I want to invite you to pray along these lines as well. I believe something God has for us in the future is for there to be church planting missionaries who are sent from covenant fellowship, from this church family, sent from here to plant churches in distant places. 
I believe that's something that God has for us. And one of my dreams as a church is that when people ask what missionaries have been sent from Covenant Fellowship and are being supported by Covenant Fellowship, that we would have a few more stories to tell about those who have been sent out. And the elders share that dream and that vision, which is why Leo Paris is taking a small group of members through a school of missions course throughout this year to learn about global missions and to consider a missionary calling. We had the interest meeting, was that just last week? I believe it was, and we are thrilled. We have 18 people already signed up, and we invite you to consider signing up if God has placed a desire for missions on your heart, even if it's just to learn more and to explore what God may have. The School of Missions is a main way that we are seeking to identify church-planting missionaries and co-laborers to spread the gospel to distant places, those who just as the brothers in this letter did, were sent from their church for the sake of the gospel. Sixth, all right, we have two more. Lesson number six from these verses. Christians should generously support gospel ministry. I want us to notice there is a specific obligation for churches and Christians to support those who are laboring for the sake of the name. We are told they should be supported abundantly, that is, in a manner worthy of God. When verse 7, there's that phrase in verse 7, it says that these traveling teachers accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, that could be translated pagans, unbelievers. What it means is that these brothers received no help from unbelievers. Uh, those are not the kind of cause that, that unbelievers are going to support because they are laboring entirely for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And so unbelievers, however many resources they may have, are not going to get behind that cause. But we as believers have an obligation to do so. John Stott makes this point commenting on these verses. He says an important principle is, lies buried here. Namely, that we Christians should finance Christian enterprises which the world will not or should not be expected to support. Indeed, we have an obligation, ought to do so. Okay, so the, the ministries that we are most passionate about are not the ones that Apple or Google or Starbucks or Elon Musk are going to get behind. There are many good causes to give to, but we should intentionally prioritize the support of gospel work. First in the local church and then Beyond, This is why we encourage members of the church to give and why we as pastors uh, practice this first giving 10% of our income at least to the work of the local church and then giving beyond that to other gospel promoting ministries as we have opportunity. One of the specific ways that I would love to see us be directly invested in supporting Sovereign Grace is for individual members throughout the church, not only for us as a church to support Sovereign Grace, but I wonder if you would consider even giving a small amount per month to support the partnership in Sovereign Grace so that you're able to say whenever you receive those mission updates from Sovereign Grace, whenever you see churches being planted, whenever you hear people being saved, we have a direct part in that through our contribution. 
This is what I love as a dad being able to say to my kids, this is what we are supporting. This is why we give to the church and why we give to Sovereign Grace and why we give to Covenant Mercies. We are seeking to generously support gospel ministry. And then seventh and last, we are all called to be fellow workers for the truth. This passage, in fact, gives three reasons to support Christian ministry and missions. Uh, not only, one, the motives of those who are ministering. In other words, they were sent out for the sake of the name of Christ. He says the gospel has taken hold of these men. They're laboring for the name and the glory of Christ, for the advance of the gospel. And because that's their motive, they should be supported. That's one reason. But then second, that they receive no support from Gentiles, from unbelievers, as we saw, is a second reason to support them. But then also third, and this is what I want to consider here as we close. He says that through this support, you become fellow workers for the truth. We are all called to be fellow workers for the truth. Verse eight, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. In other words, the workers are not just those who go, it's those who give. They are among the work. It's those who support. It's those who pray. It's those whose lives of love and good works are a testimony to the truth of the gospel. God calls us not only to believe this message of salvation, but to labor for this glorious cause. This is, what do we want to do with our lives? What do we want to contribute to? This is what God calls us to be a part of. He's calling each one of us to be fellow workers for the truth. You have a part to play in this mission. The ESV study Bible says not everyone is called to go and minister elsewhere, but all Christ's followers, every single one of us, are called to play their part in this enterprise. And this is really what God wants us to see today. It's that as you give as you pray, as you walk in love and good works and maintain the witness of the church, as you support partnership in all of this, these are missionary activities and you are participating in the advance of the gospel and working for the truth. I had an incredible experience this week where in studying these, these verses, God was reminding me in so many ways and seemed that everything that came my way was a reminder that this is what the church is doing, that God has made us rich in this grace. And I met with Mark Prater this week and heard about his recent time in Australia serving the churches at a conference that they had there, the Sovereign Grace Churches. He was also telling me about his upcoming trip to Africa and the church members who will be there with him. He leaves tomorrow. This is Sovereign Grace Church's West African Pastors Conference in Liberia with leaders from six different African countries. That's where Mark's going to serve. And then in an elders meeting that we had this week, in the elders meeting, we rejoiced in the go forward missions offering that you recently gave. 
and talked about how to use these funds and made decisions around that. And then yesterday, emails of gratitude were being forwarded by Leo into my inbox. Songwon in Korea thanked us for a recent gift, saying, thank you, Covenant Fellowship Church, for your love and encouragement. An email from Ark Church in Ukraine came in saying, thanks to you, Covenant Fellowship, we can continue to care for hundreds of refugees, feed the hungry, and comfort the suffering. But most importantly, we can continue to preach the gospel and give people eternal hope in Jesus. I read these and I was so affected by this reality that Covenant Fellowship is full of fellow workers for the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do. In all of your efforts, lift up your eyes to see this is what God has called us to. This is the mission that we've been joined together in as church members here and as churches throughout Sovereign Grace as we partner in the spread of the gospel. Each one of us, by the grace of God, are called to play our part as partners in mission in the spread of this glorious message of salvation. I want to invite the band to return, and I just want to say one more thing, and it's this, that, that the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that we've been singing about, that we have been marveling in, that we have heard read, this truth of the gospel is worthy of our devotion. There are some here who have not believed this message of the truth. And that's the starting point. Before laboring for the truth, you must believe it. And I want to exhort you and appeal to you that if you have not turned from your sin and received this truth, the world says, what is truth? The world says, your truth is true for you. No, God has spoken in his son. God has made the truth known. Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And God has brought you here today that this might be the day of salvation, that eyes might be opened up to see the reality of what is true, that we are all sinners whose only hope is a glorious Savior who died in the place of sinners, receiving the judgment that we deserve, that we might be accepted and welcomed by a holy God. Repent of your sin and turn to him. And if you have embraced this truth, if you have embraced this glorious message of salvation, then friends, beloved, continue to be fellow workers for the truth. Every one of us, all Christ's followers are called to play their part in this enterprise. We have been rescued, rescued by this truth, this glorious message of salvation. And we are now called to labor for the truth, to spend our lives for the truth until our Savior comes again. Brothers and sisters, the name of Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. The name of Jesus Christ is worthy of our labors. The name of Jesus Christ is the reason we are engaged in this mission, spending ourselves and being spent for the cause of his name. 
Just as we have been faithful in this calling throughout our history, may it be that we are faithful for generations to come and that God raises up a younger generation to continue in this mission to treasure Christ, to grow in grace, to proclaim the message of salvation that more and more people might come to know this glorious salvation. May God do it through us for the glory of his name. Amen.